Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Fernite podcast episode, where today I'm pleased to be joined by Carol Howley, Chief Marketing Officer at Exclaimer, the email signature management solution. Carol is a very experienced and revenue-focused marketing leader who loves data, but is also very aware of the need to build long-term, sustainable brand-driven growth for B2B SaaS companies. Marketing budgets are under more scrutiny than ever at the moment, and so this is a very topical episode. We'll be diving into how Carol views that balance between investing long-term in brand, working closely with investors and sales colleagues, and of course, capturing immediate demand. The Finite community is supported by Clarity, the fast-growing global marketing communications agency working with leading technology brands. We are living through an unprecedented era of change driven by advancements in technology, technology that has the power to be an impetus for good and that will drive us towards a healthier, more prosperous, sustainable and equitable future. Clarity exists to tell the stories of these companies, blending the science of data with the art of storytelling to enact measurable marketing and communications campaigns and deliver results to the bottom line. Visit clarity.global to find out more. Hello, Carol. Thank you for joining me on the Finite Podcast. Hi, lovely to, lovely to be here and thank you very much for having me. No problem. Looking forward to talking. We're going to be talking about something that I think is particularly relevant, the times we find ourselves in, talking about growing demand in the long term, long term thinking. I think many marketers listening will probably be feeling some tension around, some pressures around investing long term in marketing and the the more kind of short-term pressures of immediate results. But um, we're going to dive into that and I know it will be a good conversation. Before we do, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and experience to date. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Carol Howley and I am the CMO Exclaimer. I've been the CMO Exclaimer for six months now, so it's been a really, really interesting role and really exciting to kind of come into a new business and to start really working very hard on changing quite a lot of the fundamental elements of marketing. And um, before being at Exclaimer, I was at a company called Canonical, which runs Ubuntu. For those of you who are really into developer and developer marketing, you might know it. Otherwise, as a marketer, to be fair, I didn't know it before I started working there. So Ubuntu actually has over 30 million daily users, and it's pretty much in the tech stack of every single one of the world's companies that we were in the SpaceX launch. You know, if you load a photo to Instagram, yeah, everything that you do almost is touched by by an element of kind of open source and, and sort of to do with Ubuntu. So that's a really exciting role and amazing to kind of work that closely with technology. Prior to that, actually, I worked at Skyscanner for seven years, so a bit of a change, a few jumps in between and a bit of advising and working for some VCs in investment. But in between that, I was at Skyscanner. So at Skyscanner, I was actually doing very much what I call the the more boring side of marketing. So I didn't do any of the fun kind of things. I didn't do any kind of trips around the world with influencers and things. I very much worked on the B2B arm of the business and I scaled all of our kind of technologies. I worked on kind of the APIs, the data feeds, did the developer marketing, built a huge amount of people up from, you know, how we kind of approached our, our activities. We launched a number of things like an Alexa skill and a, the chatbot for Facebook when it was um, announced. So we really kind of my, I guess my background is in B2B marketing and I've been really fortunate to work across all the roles in marketing, but I guess where I've really landed and really loved is kind of around a strange hybrid model of kind of brand, but also demand generation and growth. So I really love data and I care a lot about revenue. I'm really excited by revenue charts and the data charts. And I love to see kind of things growing, but I also really love the idea behind the brand and the psychology and how you bring people together and, you know, experimentation and also kind of how that results in people wanting to buy your products for the long term. So I guess a slightly odd mix. Most people tend to sit on one side of the fence, but definitely love both sides. And so, you know, I think my biggest thing at the minute is really building those kind of growth obsessed teams and bringing people together sort of work across the business so we're having a really exciting time at the minute doing that cool and tell us a bit about 
the Exclaimer marketing team, how things are structured. It's always nice for our listeners to hear about how different marketing teams go about yeah, structuring themselves. Yeah, so we're very much evolving, I think is a good, a good description for where we are. So I've been there six months and one of my first challenges really was to kind of bring in the team and to look at how we make a shift from what the investors, when I was interviewing for the role, termed as very much kind of a short-term lead generation-based model into more of a longer-term process where we look at obviously you know, capturing demand that's in market, but look at kind of building for the longer term, standing up channels, having identity and a point of view, and really starting to kind of do what they termed as modern marketing. So I guess really lucky to have investors and a board who do actually see the value of marketing, which is often a massive challenge for many marketers, but it is definitely a great situation for us. We have obviously an insight portfolio and they have a marketing center of excellence and within their center of excellence, they actually have some really great kind of organization structure activators and they have some great advice points where they look at how much you should split your team across the main areas of kind of demand generation versus content, etc. So in my team, we've kind of got what we've sort of traditionally kind of called demand generation. But really, for me, demand generation doesn't just sit as that one team. It's kind of like a growth team. So you have, you know, within and very closely linked to our demand generation team, we've got life cycle, we've got kind of growth and operations, we've got demand. And so everyone kind of works really closely together, I guess, ultimately to drive growth. And also within that, I'd sort of see inbound and kind of web activities as well sat together in that growth area. I've built a product marketing team and they very much look after kind of audience research, positioning, messaging, the product, sales enablement. And then we've kind of got a, a third area, which is sort of brand and I guess corporate marketing, which is very much around content marketing, community events, communications, PR, and also the creative and design side. I mean, it's very much a, I guess, a matrix, like none of those teams kind of operate in silos. Everyone kind of crosses over and gets confused and annoys each other and does things that other people are doing. But, you know, that's sort of the general kind of areas of like growth product and brand where more or less everyone fits in. To a degree. Very nice. Uh, it's probably reassuring for people to hear that that crossover and occasional confusion and frustration happens because it does happen. And I, I think sometimes I feel like it's a, kind of a natural tension and it's just like, it's a good thing on balance. And whilst it can feel a bit annoying at the time, actually, it's a it's a better thing overall. But that's That's great. We had a really funny chat. Uh, we just had some of our quarterly business reviews and we were kind of saying that really we're at that stage where we're starting to come together. People are starting to kind of assert, you know, I do this and this works and we're setting out all the processes and what people own. And ultimately, I think we're all really annoying each other because we're standing on each other's toes and people are sort of having great ideas, but then other people aren't caught up. So then it's just frustration. So I think once you can go through that area of like who does what, what impacts what, what's important, what process links together. And, you know, if what sort of done means a lot of the time we were having people were writing content and then they were like okay I've done my bit but nothing was planned for the next stage so nothing really linked together so we're doing a lot of really really boring process and organization at the moment to try and avoid a lot of those problems. Yeah makes sense so you mentioned you're obviously still relatively new in the role a lot's changing progressing evolving probably quite quickly but what's been your experience so far of that kind of shift from as you described it kind of the short-term lead gen model to the kind of longer term thinking and, and I guess maybe when we talk about longer term thinking like what do we mean by that in, in simple terms yeah of course so I guess for me there's sort of almost two elements and two activities that you're doing all the time and you're kind of doing that short term which is really sales activation which is an awful lot of what demand generation is but I think demand generation has sort of moved and you know kind of leaked into different areas I suppose in a way for want of a better term and I think 
one amusing thing about demand generation is almost every podcast or every kind of blog that I read, no one seems to agree on what it actually does. Um, everyone's quite clear that it costs quite a bit of money and that it's something to do with revenue. And if revenue's down, it's probably marketing's fault. And about that sort of sums up most things I've heard about demand gen. But I guess for us, it's about kind of creating demand in the category. It's about focusing on that kind of that ICP, the people that are really interested in in your sort of product or could be in the future. And it's very sort of heavily content driven. And it includes a huge amount of tactics from paid trade shows, partnerships, influencers, offers, campaigns, that everything kind of links together, which technically may not even be in the the sort of demand generation team's control. It could be in the content team or it could be within PR. So it's kind of a huge kind of mix. And that's why I say about the matrix organization for our team and why we always end up, you know, everything kind of impacts and influences every element of the team. So I think in the short term side, we're looking at that sales activation, we're looking at capturing the demand and talking to people that are really interested, but that's such a small percentage of our sort of target market. So we're also looking at, you know, how do we kind of plan for the future? How are we kind of reaching people? How are we raising awareness? And that's so many other things that doesn't necessarily link to sort of demand generation. So for us, it's kind of, it's been a bit of a shift to make that approach. And it's been a bit of a, I guess, a challenge as well. So, so yeah, that's sort of the the main things, um, I think. Is this more, you mentioned that you're a lot more focused on, or you enjoy being focused on revenue and kind of the the commercial results. Do you think that allows you to have a more revenue focused outlook? I think so. Yeah. I think as I was saying, with that shift in our approach, we were very much aware that we were making sort of, you know, every month we'd kind of have that nice sales activation, we'd capture the demand in market and we'd see our results and it was sort of slowly growing. And I think what we weren't doing was investing for the future and really looking, you know, how do we start to bring people in? How do we move forward in the market? And how do we kind of get up the funnel to look to people when they're making decisions, when they're researching products, you know, that always on advertising and sort of investment just kind of plateaus eventually and for us it, it did plateau in the last year completely and we hadn't invested in that content that brand those own channels so we were, we're in that situation now I guess of playing an awful lot of catch-up but I think ultimately what we're trying to do is create a marketing approach that's designed to drive and support that revenue growth so it's hugely aligned with the sales team and I'm really lucky that actually our sales team are wonderful and the CRO is really really aligned to marketing which helps a lot so we're really focusing on all the metrics we spend a huge amount of time measuring what we do and don't do like the performance metrics from SQL and close one and ARR and all the efficiency based metrics for speed of deal and how we can get things all the kind of return on investment metrics funnel metrics like there's so many metrics (laughs) it's crazy to sort of look at them all and what they all mean and we also look at all the leading indicators so we like to look at what's kind of bringing people in and getting us to the stage of actually seeing the revenue and everything coming in so it's it's kind of really a bit obsessed with with the numbers and I think in SaaS and B2B we're a lot more sales and revenue driven that you can often see that activation that impacts so much faster than bigger companies and different industries so I think um, yeah being revenue driven is a massive focus for the job and certainly when you're answering to the board if you don't know your metrics then you're really in trouble you know I've seen a lot more and it's actually really interesting a lot more marketers can actually turn around and say you know yeah my my CAC's this my cost of acquisition is this you know my lifetime value of my customer is this you know a lot of people are starting to talk in the sense of like oh yeah my SaaS magic number's in the right place and all this sort of thing and I think as marketers we've had to shift to be more more sort of metrics driven but I think and probably something we'll probably talk about later with regards to brand is that that sometimes does come at the kind of the expense of your brand and the expense of that longer term because if you can't measure it and you can't show demand right away then do you actually invest in it and it's obviously a big challenge I think right now especially in terms of sort of budgets and the way everyone's sort of a bit worried about driving growth at the moment. 
Definitely. Well, let's come on to talk about that. I know you, you've talked, alluded to a little bit already, kind of marketing team structure to support this longer term vision. So it might be interesting to talk a bit about the investor relationship or actually just like the rest of the senior team. You mentioned CRO being very aligned to marketing. You mentioned at the start, investors were very kind of on board with the long-term vision, which I think it's fair to say is somewhat unusual for investors and maybe even CROs and others. But, you know, having recorded 120 or something episodes of the Finite Podcast now, I think I've been forced to conclude that kind of cultures and investors and senior leadership teams are either kind of on board with marketing or they're not. And maybe that sounds a, a little bit black and white, but I have kind of learned to feel slightly sorry for marketers that are phenomenal at what they do, but stuck in environments where marketing is really just not understood. And part, you know, that's on the marketer too, to, to educate and take people on the journey. But do you share that view? How, how important do you think it is to have that and you need to be surrounded by people that are also sharing in the kind of long-term vision? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really hard thing. And you see on LinkedIn, lots of sort of podcast warning, you know, if you're interviewed by the CEO and they don't get marketing, like run a mile, but not everyone has that luxury and you have to kind of work on that relationship. So, and even having investors that are aware of marketing and are aware of kind of the value marketing ad, you still have to work really, really hard to justify what you do and to really explain what you do. So I think yeah, as you mentioned, the, the sales relationship's really, really important. And we've worked incredibly hard, actually, over the past six months, myself and the CRO. We came in around about the same time, which was really helpful. Um, but we've set a huge change. So previously, my team was to they'd do all their work to bring in their MQLs, which ultimately, as everyone knows, MQLs is a measure of almost nothing at times. So, And then we'd bring them all in, we'd chuck them over the fence, and we'd run away laughing and leave sales to go deal with it. And then they'd throw stones back saying, you know, that was rubbish, it was useless, it didn't drive business, you guys were awful. So that was kind of what I inherited when I arrived in the company. And so Joey and I have worked incredibly hard to get everyone together, to put them in the same home, to give them projects, to sort of say, you know, how do we drive growth together? We have the same numbers. We don't look at MQLs anymore. My team are focused on kind of the end revenue, on the pipeline, on the SQLs. We only care if it closes to business. You know, there's a lot of work we do that kind of raises awareness, that drives kind of interest, that positions us. But ultimately, if we're talking with the sales team, all we're talking about is what is the quality of the people that are going to buy and did we bring the right people in? We have a really fast feedback route so that as soon as, you know, the teams are meeting every single week, they can say, look, guys, that campaign was awful. I won't swear <laughs> because they usually do. But, you know, that campaign was terrible. You need to change it and we can change it right away. So we're always looking at quality. We're getting feedback. We're making sure that we're really responsible Responsive. And I think that starts to grow the trust with the team and sort of gets us all working together. And then I guess the the other side of what you're saying around kind of investors, I think board meters, board meetings are like the most stressful career impacting moments in my role at the minute. And they're also critical for ensuring you get buy into that strategy and that you position it effectively. And ultimately, those people are judging you. They're judging your competence. They're judging your ability to do things. They're judging, you know, how well you're managing their investment. And effectively, I sometimes like to say my role is a little bit like playing high stakes poker with someone else's money. So it's kind of interesting, but ultimately those people care about the money and they care an awful lot about whether or not you're the best person to be spending that money on their behalf and you've got the right things in line. So yeah, I don't need to go into the challenges of being a a CMO or a marketer these days, it's definitely well known. But I think you have to, marketers, I think, do a really bad job of marketing themselves and their teams. And I think that's kind of a, a well-known thing. Often marketers we're really weirdly are quite introverted and are quite bad at demonstrating value. So I think it's really learning how to demonstrate that value. Like the invest, you have to talk like an investor and you have to talk like a salesperson. They care about revenue. They care about growth. 
They care about understanding how it gets there. And they like to know that you understand the market, the industry, what you're operating in. And they like to know that if they say, you know, oh, well, have you noticed that this, this costs down or this metrics down? And you need to be able to say, well, yes. And as a result of that, we're looking at this answer or we're looking at this option or we're tweaking our strategies to do this, you know. We're quite lucky. We've got quite good product market fit. So ultimately now the responsibility is completely mine because they're like, well, the product market fits there. So, you know, if you fail, it's marketing's fault. So you have to be able to kind of demonstrate and give them a good picture of that performance and really reassure them that, you know, what you're doing. So I really try and position myself as a revenue generation sort of department rather than a cost center. And I think as long as you start to move yourself from that idea of being a cost center and actually generating revenue, it's very much, you know, what was the result from marketing invested revenue? What was the result of kind of share voice in the industry? What was the result in terms of search lines? Why is that important? You know, and it helps them understand that, yes, you do care about efficiency, but you also care about growing the business and you're spending that really intelligently. So that was a bit of a rant. <laughs> no, it's, it's all very insightful. The Finite Community and Podcast are kindly supported by 93X, the digital marketing agency working exclusively with ambitious, fast-growth B2B technology companies. Visit 93x.agency to find out how they partner with marketing teams in B2B technology companies to drive growth. I'm going to jump back to one bit you mentioned, which was around, and it's a bit of a tactical one before we wrap up talking about brand, but you're talking about that kind of handover point to sales and we've done a few episodes before and had lots of discussion around kind of SDRs and MDRs and the way that they're incentivized. Are they incentivized as kind of hunters or gatherers? Are they comfortable with all types of leads or only the ones they've been taught about in certain sectors and segments? Some people have been embedding kind of what they call marketing development reps inside the marketing team rather than the sales team to deal with inbound leads. All of that kind of stuff. I'm sure we could do a whole episode on it. But how does it work for you and, and any kind of insights on on that side of things? Yeah. So as I mentioned, both Joey, the CRO and myself have only been in for six months. So what we first did was hire a BDR team. And so those people have only just come into the business and we're in that process now. And previously, I think at Exclaimer, they'd been quite lucky, you know, we'd grown, we'd grown to a, a level that the, the board at the time was happy with. Now we've obviously been bought by Insight. I think they're looking for a higher level of growth and not just kind of a nice steady level of growth. They want, you know, quite aggressive growth and they think that there's the opportunity. And I think that there is. So it's all about kind of professionalizing that process and they didn't need really BDRs. And I think also as channels have grown, you know, we've got more, you know, we're looking at demand gen we're bringing people in at an interest level so it's that conversation around you know why it's of interest why it's of value not necessarily a straight sales demo or a pitch so we've brought that team in at the minute they sit very much between mine and the sales team we haven't completely decided exactly where that sits and we're sort of testing out ideas and testing out if we need mdrs bdrs you know, who does what in a sense. And um, we've also brought on lots of new tools. So we've brought on Drift, which is going live for us on the 1st of March, and also using a, a tool called Sixth Sense for a lot of our advertising and looking at how we kind of manage our ABM motions. So we're bringing all these new tools. We've got a new BDR team and we're trying to work out who does what and at what point we, we hand over and where in the funnel, what those handover points mean. So ultimately, I like what I've usually managed BDR teams in the past and I like having it in because then I feel like I own that conversion to the point where it's not that it's no longer my responsibility but the point where it's going to close and I think that's just because I'm a little bit of a control freak <laughs> so that's my personal opinion but I think as long as you have the clear you know what do we do at this stage what's it matter what's our SLAs you know if people come in we 
trying really hard to make sure that we pick up leads really quickly. We deal with them in appropriate ways. We reference why people have come in. You know, we give feedback very quickly in terms of what's working and what isn't and sort of manage them really effectively in that sense. So definitely a work in progress for us. Cool. Let's talk about brand for the last side of things. We've talked a lot about focus on you know revenue, numbers, data, performance. I guess we have this debate a lot around, <laughs> yeah. as you said, is that at the cost of investing in brand? And particularly when we're thinking long-term, it's easy to, as, again, as you alluded to, invest less in brand and more in the short term. Maybe you can tell us a bit about kind of the brand status when you arrived at Exclaimer and how things looked and how you've looked at, at brand at Exclaimer. And then we can talk more widely about kind of how to keep investing in brand in times like these. Yeah, definitely. So the brand owner arrived at Exclaimer. We've done quite a bit of work recently to kind of update and tweak what we had. There was a rebrand delivered quite recently at Exclaimer, and I think it hadn't quite had the investment in sort of people and belief and, I guess, resource and also the rollout hadn't gone quite to plan. So I'd inherited what was kind of you know, not quite really there. It was a bit of a repaint, but hadn't really, no one had really thought through kind of the strategy or why, you know, why we were doing it, what the brand stood for, what it meant and what therefore that meant in terms of like the rollout for the company and any kind of emotional level. It was very much sort of a bit of a repaint and one that hadn't quite worked. Uh, so we hadn't seen from that rebrand, we hadn't seen any impact or changes in terms of like share of voice, in terms of any of the brand metrics or the resonance. And to be fair, we often, I remember, interviewing myself but also interviewing people to join my team where people were like you know oh, I've heard something about a rebrand you know I'm really excited to see that and I was like no no that was that was the rebrand so we, we had sort of a bit of a a bit of work to do and I think at that point the board hadn't been fully on board with the rebrand it hadn't gone through there hadn't been sort of a really strong design team interrogating you know is this the right way to go so we'd I sort of inherited a brand that wasn't really working and it was really interesting and quite hard to go to the board and say actually what we have now is not helping us in any way we need to kind of think about how you know how we kind of have a scalable design system that enables us to do what we do and that enables us to kind of in the long term stand out in the marketplace to deliver that really strong kind of identity and you know ultimately have all the kind of benefits of brand like you know having a good you know, category defining position, having a competitive moat, having the ability to charge more ultimately and be able to bring you know, great employees on. So there were so many things that, you know, we were layering in to look at why it was a really good idea to actually invest in that brand. And also I did a huge amount of testing. We used a platform called Winter initially just to get really quick pulse points across, you know, do people understand? Do we stand for anything? Do they like our brand? And, you know, obviously incorporated a lot of that into our kind of research process as well. Very cool. And I think such a key point around brand being done in a box is just a new set of brand guidelines. And actually it's such, it runs so much deeper than that. It's the whole identity of how people feel, you know, communicating internally, getting, taking people on the journey. And it's starting with like your values and what you believe about the world and your vision. And it's not just a, I think so often brand can be just put in this box of like, it's a graphic design exercise and a lick of paint as you alluded to, but it's just so much more than that. So yeah, interesting. I guess to wrap up, like any thoughts on balancing the two with this kind of long-term, short-term perspective? I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear how you've approached brands so far at Exclaimer. And obviously, this is all with the context that you've got a very kind of supportive and long-term thinking board and investors. Do, I mean, do you split budgets based on X to brand and Y to more short-term stuff? Like, how do you think about the the balance between the two and and kind of being ready. I, I, there was some great research from, I think it was the B2B Institute, part of LinkedIn around you know, 95% of B2B buyers not being in market and only 5% are, you know, I think we're being armed with more and more great data to help support 
the investment for the brand. But yeah, any any final thoughts? Yeah, so I guess ultimately, like our board are, are definitely not kind of they're very very revenue focused and very money focused. So they're not kind of a, an easy win in terms of brand or any spend. To be fair, the, the problem with them being very good and very hot on marketing means that they're very very quick to see any kind of problems with your strategy so it's definitely not an easy ride but doing things well enables you to get investment is probably a good thing before I get a phone call from the investors but no they are very good but they are incredibly aware of the metrics and what's important and how to invest and they do that research and they invest in it so that they know how to best manage their investments but I think in terms of that long term as you noted there's that amazing research report and it's really about kind of you ultimately have this short term impact when you buy leads and you capture the demand but what you need to kind of think about is how do you kind of slowly grow that over time and it is a long-term investment and it is less kind of instantly measurable and I think you know it's as we're kind of recognizing the change in buyer behaviors we're recognizing that you know you've got to appeal to a wider group of people you've got to kind of look at those kind of outer market customers and ensure they actually know about you so that they are searching so that you can even capture that demand in the first place so I think it's kind of we shifted towards everything that was measurable from a financial point of view and also kind of efficiency and it was new for marketing you know when I started in marketing too many years ago you didn't really measure an awful lot you'd kind of do do a campaign you'd have a great idea everyone would spend lots of money and you'd sit there being like well I hope that worked and you know we kind of had to move from that situation so I think the pendulum swung especially in the places I worked very far down the kind of anything that's not measurable can't be done and you know no investment in brand and then we realized actually that had such a negative impact that then I think it's swinging back so I think looking forward we always look within kind of would be to be SaaS with quite a high volume sort of low cost sales we tend to invest around 60% into kind of demand generation and those based activities and then the rest is kind of split between things like PR and community and, and other investments and that's sort of a, a bit of a recommended benchmark I know in the I think in the LinkedIn report they recommended something like a 50-50 split is where they think things will go and maybe it will do and you know I think especially with interesting developments around advertising and targeting and personalization you know you've got to be more intelligent of what you do and where you spend so i think there'll be an interesting couple of years with all of that impacting i guess advertising spend as well so maybe it will start to kind of go down so yeah we generally focus about 60 percent on the demand gen and the rest on kind of the longer term and investing for the future very interesting we're out of time you've shared a great deal and very openly and transparently so i really appreciate it lots to think about for all of our listeners and myself actually there's lots of things i'm, I'm going to go away and uh, think about internally in, in terms of how we do marketing so super useful thank you for sharing everything no thank you very much for having me we're super busy at finite building the best community possible for marketers working in the b2b tech and SaaS sector to connect share learn and grow Along with our podcast, we host online events, share curated content and have an active Slack community with members from around the world, including cities like London, New York, Singapore, Tel Aviv, Stockholm, Melbourne and many more. Head to finite.community and apply for a free membership to strengthen your marketing knowledge, build your network and connect with ambitious B2B tech marketers across the globe.